Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. And you're listening to Market Matters, our market series here on the Making Sense podcast channel. I'm really excited to be in New York together with Andrew Tyler and John Schlegel to talk about US equities following a tremendous rally, really, over the last couple of months. So Drew is head of the US market intelligence team and John is head of the global positioning intelligence team. And as always, I'm really looking forward to hearing their perspectives on US markets from here. So Drew, John, thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here. Yes, great to be chatting again. Brilliant. And I think it's particularly great to be recording this podcast together with the S&P 500 teetering around the 5,000 mark. Because, Drew, the last time that we three recorded together, which was in mid-November, you said that you were expecting the rally to continue into the end of last year and to continue into early this year. And you expected markets to make fresh all-time highs. I remember those words, which I always thought was quite a bold call. And yet here we are, and it very much has really played out, albeit there was a bit of a wobble this week post the hotter CPI prints. So Drew, can we start with you and... Can you start by explaining why you think US markets have been so strong over the last few months? Has this been in keeping with your prior call and your prior expectations, or has anything surprised you? Sure. So let me break this down from both a macro perspective as well as from a micro perspective. From a macro perspective, we continue to see the U.S. grow above its long-term trend, which is about 2%, and it's growing without any significant inflationary pressures, except for what we saw on Tuesday, of course. From a micro perspective, it is improving earnings specifically within the tech sector with a focus on the Magnificent Seven. Finally, there's a strong expectation that the Fed will eventually ease its monetary policy this year, though by what magnitude is up for debate. So switching gears and thinking about surprises, I was cautious into mega cap tech earnings since in the previous quarter we saw some large downward moves. So for example, we did see some companies who beat earnings metrics, and so I'm talking about both revenue growth as well as earnings growth, and then seeing the stocks sell off pretty aggressively. And in some cases, it took up to two months to regain those losses. So that was really part of the caution that I had going into earnings season. This caution proved accurate for about a day. So on January 31st, we did see the Magnificent Seven sell off about 3%, and then they regained almost 7% over the next two trading days. So the Magnificent Seven have propelled the S&P 500 to and through 5,000, though the CPI print pushed us back underneath. Thanks, Drew. That's really helpful to understand the drivers of the strength overall, both the macro and the micro drivers, but also those factors that have surprised you. So here we are teetering around the 5,000 mark. What do you make of future potential, Drew? I mean, the S&P multiple is now at around 20 to 21 times this year's earnings. It's not exactly low. And we know that positioning isn't light either, as we'll hear from John in due course. So Drew, when you think about the future potential for US markets, do you think they can go higher? And if they can, what is the driver? Absolutely, they can go higher from here. (laughs) So I think we actually do see the markets move higher from these levels as we continue to witness data that is supportive of the quote-unquote growth without inflation narrative. 
And so eventually the monetary easing from the Fed, if they're doing this when the economy is still growing at or above trend, will add another tailwind to markets. So to expand on this topic, we're really seeing the economy grow at about 4% net of inflation. And this occurred in the second half of 2023. And that positive momentum has really carried into this year when we're seeing data such as retail sales, such as PMI or ISM data, as well as earnings. When considering the index multiple, it may appear steep relative to other regions or even relative to its own history, but this is because the S&P is a market cap weighted index that is very heavily weighted towards the tech sector. Earnings growth provided by tech warrants a higher multiple. And from a global perspective, when earnings growth is scarce in the rest of the world, investors tend to be willing to pay, in some cases, overpay for access to that growth. So from what we've seen from the tech sector is that growth remains robust. And with the Magnificent 7 stock in particular, they're also experiencing margin expansion, which is yet another reason why investors will pay a higher multiple. Thank you, Drew. That makes sense. So when we think about the future, you're obviously bullish, but which sectors do you expect to lead? I mean, as you've said, the rally's been pretty narrow over the last couple of months. The MAG7 companies, they make up almost 30% of the S&P 500 market cap. So do you expect them to continue to lead from here? Or might there be a catch-up trade for other sectors? That's a great question. And so my thought was at first that we had to get to the March Fed event on March 20th before we'd start to see a broadening of this rally. And so that broadening would include cyclicals. And so thought differently, as investors start to get more comfortable with the economic expansion that would come without a significant inflation, is that you would start to see sectors such as financials and such as industrials really add to the leadership that you've seen from technology. But what we've witnessed is that the week before CPI is we started to see some of this rotation already, and you're starting to see that broadening already playing out right now. So is it possible that this continues to and through the Fed? Absolutely. And that's probably how this plays out from here. Thank you. So you do expect a continuation of the broadening of the rally, and you do expect that to come from cyclicals. Are there any other specific sectors and subsectors that you'd really highlight? So within financials, I think it's really the banks and the credit card companies that make the most sense to me. And I think within industrials, you really need to think about home builders, transports, and I would say probably just your overall just kind of conglomerates that are really tied to economic growth. Great. So we've obviously had a big catalyst this week, CPI, which came in a little bit hotter. I'm intrigued to know how that influenced your view, if at all. And equally, what other catalysts that you would really be watching from here to either support or refute your thesis? Yes. So starting with the CPI print, I think what really surprised a lot of people are some of the metrics with which the government measures housing prices. And those coming in a bit hotter than what we're seeing in real time. And I think for that reason, we saw a very extreme reaction on the day of the CPI print. And yet the day after, what we saw is a little bit of a retracement of that as that kind of message got out to investors. Now, as we shift gears and think about what are the other catalysts to have in front of the investors, it's going to start with retail sales, PCE. So that's the Fed's official measure of inflation, which can vary quite dramatically from CPI. And then things such as like growth data in terms of ISM or PMIs. And then you also want to keep an eye on the labor market proxied by non-farm payrolls. The last piece of the puzzle is going to be the Fed's behavior, because we came into this year thinking that we could see cuts priced in as early as the January 31st meeting. And then those cuts have been priced out of the market. And so we saw after the CPI print, really investors were looking for the rate cuts to begin sometime this summer, most likely June or July. And that's in line with our chief U.S. economist, Mike Ferroli's forecast of those rate cuts to begin in June. 
That makes sense, Drew. Thank you. So in terms of key risks to your bullish thesis at this stage, what are you worried about? So I'd be most worried about a spike in inflation where the two most likely sources of this coming from inflated energy costs as well as elevated shipping costs. Another key risk to me is going to be a decline in consumption potentially initiated by job losses or in the last and final risk I have highlighted would be credit contagion triggered by bank failures. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Drew. Well, that's really helpful in understanding your continued bullish view, but also the risks and the catalysts you'll be watching from here. So, John, can we turn to you now? And can we start with a backdrop to positioning? Obviously, the S&P 500, it's up more than 20% since late October. So, how much buying have we seen alongside this rally? And from who? And where does that really leave positioning at this stage? That's a great question. And I think to simply put it, it's been very broad if you look back over the last few months. And initially, I would say it came from more of the systematic investors. So CTAs are often focused on, and we definitely saw them adding to risk in the November, December timeframe. We also saw hedge funds cover a lot of shorts into year end, pushing up their net exposures. And then retail has been really resurgent in their buying of markets. And I would say the one thing that is most clearly carried over into the start of this year has been retail behavior, really getting into markets, buying more, and also ETF flows, which remain very strong and were very strong at the start of 2024. So overall, it was a very broad increase, but I would say despite the markets continuing to rally at the start of this year, the driver of it has arguably been a little bit less from the hedge fund or systematic side and more from the retail community. That's so interesting. So when you put it all together, all of those different investor types, where do you think that does leave positioning? So pretty elevated. When we look at our tactical positioning monitor, which aggregates it across these different investor types, it's at the 89th percentile since 2015 and 93rd percentile since 2006. And if we were to focus just on the hedge funds, especially the equity long short funds, their net leverage is up around the 80th percentile since 2017. Thank you. So pretty elevated by the sounds of things. I mean, John, what's your take on future upside potential? Drew's obviously given the fundamental case for equities to go higher from here, but positioning, you're saying tactical positioning monitor 89th percentile versus history. Do you think that caps the future upside potential for the market? I think that's really interesting at the moment because it seems like markets and investors are focused on missing out and missing the rally because of how strong things have been. And if you look back over time, there have been some periods where positioning has remained high for a prolonged period. And this would be 2021 was really that year when positioning was around these levels or even higher for almost 12 months in a row. So it's definitely possible for things to remain high. I think there is potential for surprises to the downside, though, given positioning is pretty high. If you were to get momentum that started to get more negative, I think there have been enough that's been added from investors that you could see some selling. But for now, it seems like it's more of the medium term flows into markets, which we actually highlighted right at the start of this year with our first note that have been propelling the market higher. So, you know, a couple of things that we mentioned then retail flows coming back because they were very negative for about 18 months. That's continued so far into this year. ETF flows because they also were quite negative and bottomed around March of last year have been positive. And then hedge funds continuing to kind of grind their nets higher and take on more risk is something else that we've noted and has played out. So overall, I think the positioning could be supportive. It's not so extreme that we're not seeing a ramp up that 
concerns us in the very recent past, but there are risks to the downside as well from positioning. That's really helpful. Thank you, John. So that's obviously the aggregate lens on S&P 500 or US market positioning. What about sectors? I mean, are there certain sectors that are looking particularly stretched and perhaps other sectors where positioning is a lot lighter? So starting with the more stretched ones, I think the focus is usually around tech. And it's hard from our standpoint to argue that tech isn't well-owned. Whether or not it's too extreme, I think what we've seen recently is that the earnings are there and investors are willing to stay in them or continue to buy them to some extent. Even with that said, I would say it's not as extreme as it might seem, especially for something like the Magnificent Seven. So when we look at positioning amongst our hedge fund client base, we actually saw them take off some chips at the end of last year in some of the stock-specific names. And the long-short ratio is around the 80th percentile. So still elevated, but actually not as high as it was in the middle of 2023. If you look at semis, that's a bit higher. But once again, the flow dynamic has been a place where we've seen funds reducing longs and taking some profits, even though the markets or that sector continues to go higher. And then, you know, if I think about areas where positioning is quite low, I think this is a mix of some of your traditional defensives, like staples and utilities, as well as some cyclicals in the retail space. And I think in terms of the way markets behave, some of those that are more defensive probably outperform, but only in a down move in the market. Whereas some of the cyclicals, to Drew's point, I think if the data continues to show the economy is strong and that companies have the ability to continue to increase their earnings over time, perhaps some of those catch a bit more of a bid and continue to perform a bit better. Thank you so much, John. So it does sound like cyclicals and retail probably satisfy that intersection of relatively lighter positioning in the US, but still exposed to an expanding economy in the US market, and therefore satisfying both the fundamental view that Drew articulated, but also a more favorable positioning backdrop. Yes, I'd agree with that. Excellent. That's really helpful. So, John, final question for you. What are you watching at this stage in terms of key catalysts, but also risk factors from here? So I think, as Drew mentioned, the Fed and inflation remain key factors slash risks to, to watch. As long as there isn't a reacceleration, either in inflation or in rates, I think what we've seen from investor behavior and from equity market pricing is that investors are willing to look through the near-term noise. But if you were to see rates start to accelerate higher, I think that probably does put a bit more pressure on some of this kind of laggards of the past year or so, which really came under pressure due to higher rates. I think if you look at an area like biotech, which rallied a lot into year end, that's an area that could be at risk if rates were to really move higher. So I think that's probably the most important one to watch. And then the other thing that's come up a lot in conversations is what happens with momentum as a factor, because it's performed very well at the start of this year. However, I would say that's more of a risk if the markets were to really rally quickly due to the fact that the short side of momentum, i.e. stocks that a lot of hedge funds and other investors may be underweight or short, have actually underperformed at the start of this year, especially in January. And so if you were to see a very fast broadening of the rally, which I would argue is more likely to happen if rates were to come down very quickly, that could pose a risk to some of those shorts and some of the underweights in the market. Thank you, John. That makes a lot of sense. 
Well, Drew, John, this has been really interesting and insightful as ever. And I think, Drew, we very clearly heard your continued bullish thesis, but also the risks and the catalysts you are watching from here. And John, you've really articulated the fact that positioning is heavier at this stage versus when we last caught up last year, but that that's not necessarily going to derail markets today. It's just something that I think investors need to be aware of at this stage. So, Drew, John, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. It's been great. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast series from our group. If you have feedback or if you'd like to get in touch, then please do go to our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence, where you can always get in touch via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan, they are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.